This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. These days, choices are everywhere. Like, for instance, the milk in your coffee. Would you like it from a cow? A nut? A tree? Everyone wants options. And now your customers have a new option in the way they pay. With PayPal in person. Just generate your unique QR code in the PayPal app for them to scan. And start accepting PayPal in person today. Learn more at paypal.com slash US slash get QR code. Welcome to episode 188 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today, welcome guitarist and singer Ryan Ferguson from the band No Knife. Now, I had Mitch, the other half of the guitar vocals of No Knife, on episode 153. So today, we're welcoming Ryan to the show. We talk a lot about his music, both solo and No Knife, the scene, as always, and emo. And I sort of didn't realize, but I read a super low pitchfork review of one of his solo albums that never Ryan never knew they reviewed or even read it. So I read that to him in a couple passages, so you'll hear how that turned out a little bit later on in the podcast. If you haven't heard No Knife or Ryan's solo stuff, give it a try. An absolute unique sound, and their records never sound old to me whenever they come on. No Knife were one of the best bands ever to come out of San Diego, and I'm so happy Ryan spent some time to chat about it. Thank you to all the Patreon supporters out there. You make this podcast happen. If you want to help out and support the show and everything going on that I spend when I'm not doing work things, head on over to patreon.com slash washedupemo. This is episode 188 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Ryan Ferguson from No Knife. Just uh, logging in, and uh, I was about to send you a, a wave or something like that, whatever it says in Skype. Oh, right. You sound fucking brilliant, by the way. Does it, is it coming through better? Yeah, it sounds, I mean, it sounds fucking great. Are you on your mic yet? I am. I'm on the mic. It's, I mean, it's as, as if we're together. Okay. That's, that's terrific. Well, we're off to a great start then. Thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm pumped. I, uh, <clears throat> yeah, Mitch reached out. I don't know, about a week or so, or maybe a few days before I sent you a, a note. And he's like, hey, I, I did this podcast about a year ago, and I know Tom would, would be interested in getting you at some point, so shoot him. Here, here's his contact information. And I know you and I had kind of corresponded a little bit a week or so ago in regards to that Buffalo Tom shout-out. Yes. Um, That's that what got Twitter. me to hit up Mitch again. I was like, Mitch, yeah, okay. Ryan's, Ryan's down. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> So no, I'm 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 super uh, glad to be a part of it. 
Oh, you've obviously follow, so you know what I'm up to. Totally. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, cool. I, I'm, I'm pretty new to Instagram-ish, um, so like like the No Knife Archive, Mitch, that's kind of Mitch. Like I'll mm-hmm. send him things. I've never personally posted anything, but I'll I'll send him stuff and he'll post it. So I'm I'm still like um, I think I joined Instagram back in last August or September. So I'm I'm um, I'm still fairly new at all that fun stuff. But right. uh, um, but yeah, I, I've listened to several of the podcasts. Get the um, fuck out of here! Yeah, amazing. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I Which can't ones? catch up to all 170 of them. Jesus, <laughs> I know, dude. Almost 10 years of doing this insane good for you (laughs) which ones did you check out so um so i've checked out some just in like really the last couple weeks um while riding the uh the stationary bike um and really um there's so many there's so many ones i'd I'd like i will go back and and hear but um really the ones that uh for the folks that i know like like the tim cashers Mm -hmm. um you know jim atkins obviously mitch's i just listened to most of trombino's the other day um, and like Dave Brown, obviously, cause I know oh, Dave. Oh yeah, Bill- from Holiday Matinee for sure. Uh-huh. So, um, and cool. then Jimmy Lavelle. I um, love Al- Jimmy. Yeah. He came to the office. So it was like so good to like, well, when I still had a job, but when he came to the office I worked at, it was just great cause he, he was there and we could vibe. So, um, he was so cool for him to drive over. That's cool. Yeah, totally. So, so nice. I, I, and I know there's, I know there's been a handful more, um, but it's really just kind of hearing what kind of everything's about and and just kind of reminiscing and kind of yeah. nodding along the way and <laughs> laughing at times out loud and all that fun stuff um i will embarrass you i did text jim earlier and i said i was like all right i got ryan next what do you got and he's like i have nothing tom um <laughs> i have no bad like there's no dirt there's no bad things it was it, it was it was really cute and then i found a uh i found a um interview with you where you shouted out and kind of said you knew that they were going places and that you were stoked to kind of be a part of it from the early days when you heard kind of static and stuff like what did that feel like like i i I sent it to him and he he just thought it was really 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 sweet but what uh, what was that feeling because at that time it wasn't like you talked about earlier having instagram you didn't have those endorphins to kind of tell you people are liking this people are sharing this like it was so, uh, I don't know. There was a different feeling. It felt fresh. Yeah, for sure. You talking about the Jimmy stuff? Yeah. Or just overall, like you during that time period, you know, hearing static and going, holy shit. Or, you know, hearing those records and kind of knowing that, wow, this is going to be a little bit bigger than, (laughs) uh, Steve Aoki's house. (laughs) Yeah, no. Um, yeah, we, we befriended, uh, the Jimmy guys pretty early on. Um, in fact, I, I still like throughout this podcast, uh, you'll, it'll become very evident that I have one of the worst memories. Um, <laughs> you're not the only one. Trust me. And maybe, yeah. Maybe it's a lot of blackouts. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> it's, um, yeah. So I don't remember if I was with Mitch and some of the other guys, but I know, um, you know, Mitch, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe Brian paid a visit to, uh, Big Fish Studios in Encinitas, uh, in North County, San Diego, about the time Jimmy was recording Static. So I don't remember if I was there or not, but nonetheless, the first time I heard that, which was on tape, um, I instantly was like, oh shit, these guys are good, like really good. Um, and then, you know, following that, um, 
you know, they, they had heard about us and, and obviously the common link between the two bands was Paul Drake. Yep. Um, and, uh, and so we would go out to Arizona or out to Phoenix. And even if, even if the Jimmy world guys were out on tour or not there at the house that we would be staying at, which oftentimes was <laughs> their residences or were their residences. Um, nonetheless, it was kind of at first kind of this, um, you know, kind of this mysterious band where, you know, I'd, I'd heard a lot of them, um, heard their, heard their record and, and really, really got into it. Uh, we were about the same age. We were the same age. So that was another thing. Um, and sometimes, and most of the time early on, they weren't even there in Phoenix cause they were out and about. So it was kind of this, like kind of this mystery behind them. And then when we finally got together, um, I think was a, was one of the first tours we did and we toured together a ton. Um, but I remember it, it was up in, I think it was in Boulder, Colorado. And I remember we pulled up and we walked into the venue and they were sound checking. Um, I think it was, uh, what's the really long song that they have? Goodbye Sky Harbor. (laughs) Yeah. I think they were sound checking that. And I remember sitting there going, Oh wow. But that was even, I mean, obviously that's clarity and that's not even, you know, static, but, um, that, yeah, but I you guys know. toured on the Clarity Tour, right? Was that the first, or did you do some static stuff? I don't think we did any static stuff. Uh, so it was Clarity. I, yeah, again, the, the years the years are all foggy. But <laughs> I have the dates uh, in front of me of your stuff, so I should we, oh, okay. we 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 should be good to go to double check. Uh, there's another interview, the same interview you did where you mentioned the stuff about Jim. You talked about this hours and hours of tape. Oh, Do you yeah. remember this? Where is all this? And <clears throat> when are you ripping it? And when can I see it? <laughs> so I don't even know. So are you talking about an interview from way back in the day? You yeah. Must be. This was from okay. like, I think I found one from 09. Does that count oh, wow. as way back in the day? 09. Oh, that's that's pretty far back, I guess. Um, well, it's just kind of ironic or coincidental that you bring this up because um, one, of the, one of the things I recently found that turned into a no knife post was I went to my garage the other day or about a week or two ago and underneath about 15, you know, perma pack cardboard, you know, boxes was this old green chest that I've had forever. And I knew I had some old stuff back there. And so I just, uh, I just dug deep and I opened it up and I found inside that chest was a, uh, was a, uh, you know, a shoe box and inside that shoe box is nothing but literally cassette tapes. And so I'm just kind of thumbing through there and, and 75% of them are no knife, you know, demos leading up to, you know, studio recordings. I had a bunch of stuff from, you know, you know, high school that I'd done and post high school, you know, early solos, four track stuff I had. And then, um, and then, um, and then a four track tape that I had that just says Jim's four track. And, uh, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. Jim and I used to like mail like pre postal service. <laughs> wow. Uh, we used to mail back and forth, uh, audio cassettes, um, cassette tapes of our own kind of, you know, four track stuff. So I, uh, I believe it or not, I found a cassette player and, um, and yeah, just, just recently listened to a lot of it. And it's, I'd say the majority of it is, um, clarity, just his own personal clarity demos. I'd say about maybe 10 songs were from clarity, nine or 10 songs, and maybe half of which were, you know, Jim just sitting down with a four track. Wow. Um, and then maybe the other half were with the complete band all recorded. And, uh, 
I mean, the, the audio quality, obviously now, you know, 20 some odd years later, right. is pretty sad, but, um, but it's all there. It's pretty insane. I think you need to share that back. You need to, you know, you need to say, oh, Hey, well, look, no. look what I found. <laughs> yeah. I should probably shoot him a note and say, Hey, you remember this? <laughs> Mullen's interested. Do I have the green light? Dude, I know. Trust me. He knows. I know he it's knows. all copy copywritten and publishing and all that stuff, but, <laughs> but well, yeah, it was it was funny to go through. Oh, that's cool. Cause it was funny. Paul Drake, I interviewed him and I haven't put this out yet, but the episode when I had Paul on, he talked about, you know, having all this stuff and he ended up sending me every Jimmy World photo he had. Well, it's kind of funny when you when you mentioned Paul and you know him releasing all those old photos to you because I'm, I'm thinking back, you know, to 97, eight, nine, but especially 90, you know, seven ish. Um, like we, we could say we, we used to tour with Jimmy back when they used to wear shorts on stage. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. No more shorts uh, left. Yeah, no, but, um, no, it's, it's it's a trip. It's a trip. There there is a definitely a period where, you know, post no knife when we're all doing our own thing and getting to getting into you know new careers and whatnot. That I never really looked back on it for for quite some time. So this has been fun, um, kind of just jumping back in and and exploring again and you know like I said reminiscing and when right. I hear some of some of your podcasts with with some prior guests, I can, I can do just that. So cool. So uh, it's a good feeling. It's not a, (laughs) no, not at all. No. And of course, you know, it's, it's like, yeah, there was some, some touchy feely stuff there at some point when, you know, when we kind of disbanded and everything. Um, but we, we've all since, you know, we're, we're well past that. I'd I'd like to think, or at least I am. Yeah. I I think it's mutual. Um, one other thing I want to mention in this interview, because it relates to archive and, and catalog stuff. And then we'll, I want to, there's a bunch more this, you, you talked about someone, I think Eric brought out a digital video camera and it said there was 32 hours worth of tape. And it said, you don't have a mini DV recorder and none of it's been edited and you've been able to maybe find 15 or 20 of them. Is that audio tapes or videotapes? Do you remember? So this? that's yep. I, I remember. I know what you're talking about. That so uh, Eric is is a, a good friend of mine. In fact, uh, we we played in a an old high school band together. Um, yeah, he he hit the road with us on. I guess it was the Clarity and the Fire in the City tour, and I believe Lazy Kane was also on that tour. And um, yeah, and he brought along. He's like an audio video video guy, and he brought along his mini DV record. Um, you know, uh, video. Uh, recorder, camera, whatever the hell I'm trying to say, mm-hmm. um, at the time. And yeah, he did. He shot, he shot hours and hours and, you know, dozens of tapes full of, um, not only like the live stuff, but hanging, maybe hanging, just hanging, hanging wherever we went and all the adventurous stuff and all the stuff we were getting into. And, uh, yeah, and I held, held onto those tapes. In fact, those were in my, my green treasure chest, uh, for maybe 15 years, and then um, some time ago now, I'd say at least five plus years ago, um, <clears throat> I didn't have any need for him because I, like I said, probably in that interview way back when, I didn't have a player. Um, so I gave him to Brian uh, Desjean, our, our bass player, because Brian does video editing and directing for a living now. Um, so I dropped all the tapes off with him 
and he swore five years ago that he was going to do something with them. And thanks for reminding me that he hasn't done shit with them. That's awesome that, you know, he had, he had done that and, and again, shot, not just the, the playing, but the, you know, hanging because that's, that's, that's the fun stuff. That's where you see the personalities. Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially on the, the, the lazy cane guys. I don't know how familiar you are with, with those, with those I guys am, in that yeah. band. Actually, I but, worked with John. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, he's the one I'm referring to specifically. He's, I remember some of the cameo stuff he did. It was really funny. A lot of it included his mustache. <laughs> right. But, um, uh, yeah. I was but, <laughs> actually just watching some live videos on YouTube and lazy cane popped up. It was from like a 99 show at the middle East and it just his mustache. And I ended up working with him a year later in, in, uh, in New York city. Um, and it was super fun. I've definitely embarrassed him a bunch of times because I just was like, do you guys know that we work with the guitar player from Lazy Cane? And he would just be like, shut the fuck up, Tom. <laughs> now, I remember like my, my buddy Eric, I remember the only thing he actually did with the fo- with some of the footage was, um, and I want to say it was the most of it was from some Orlando club or s- some show in Orlando, is he, he actually did put together a... Uh, like a, a video for uh, Secret Handshake. Ah. And, and but it was like you know super raw. I don't you know. And he was just he was just obviously taking the the album track and right um, syncing it with live video. So obviously nothing's really synced up too well. We have a tendency to play um, a bit too fast. <laughs> but uh, but I do remember he did he did do something with that. But yeah, the rest of it all have to bother Brian because he he definitely has all those tapes or he was definitely uh, the last one to be seen with them. Okay. That's your job, Ryan. I know I know you have a job of talking to me for an hour, but you also have another job after this. <laughs> All right, sounds good. I can handle it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, did you grow up in San Diego, or is that where you met the guys? No, I, uh, I was born and raised in San Diego. Um, and, uh, and I moved away from San Diego when I was about 30. So I was there most of my life. Um, and then, uh, and then my wife, who I actually met at our show um, with Jimmy World, we played uh, the Whiskey A Go Go. Um, it sounds so cheesy, but I, I, we seriously made eye contact during the show. Really? And I remember, I remember, I specifically still remember feeling so embarrassed because I was always a really shy kid, anyway. Yeah. And turning around and like looking at our drummer. Cause I was afraid to turn back around <laughs> and we, we hooked, we met up afterwards and stuff. But, uh, so we, we, uh, we moved up to orange County. She was from Fullerton, um, in Oh five. Cool. So yeah, but otherwise, yeah. Born and raised in San Diego. What about the punk scene there? What about, did you, did you like about it? What it, was it? Did it seem like there was a world outside of radio when you were getting into music? So it's funny you say that because, um, you know, you've probably heard or Mitch has probably mentioned or I've self-disclosed. I um kind of the self-disclosed kind of pop kid mm-hmm. in the band. So um and and <clears throat> and Mitch and I are about five years apart anyway. So I was a little younger and wasn't um never really got into the the punk scene at a young age um in San Diego. Um I think my first concert was uh I still, I swear to God, it was Stevie Wonder at the Wild Animal Park. There was an amphitheater there 
And I, I, I swear as a little kid, that's, that was my first like real concert. But, that's not out of the question. <laughs> but you know, I, um, yeah, I mean like as a kid, as a kid, I got really into uh, like Bruce Springsteen was like my idol in third grade. Um, and my babysitter was lucky enough to go to the show and came back with a, you know, got born in the USA concert t-shirt. And I remember I, uh, kind of stole it from her the next time she came to babysit and, um, wore it to, to like third grade or fourth grade or whatever, a couple days in a row until I think she called my mom and said, I know, I, I know exactly where I put it. So, um, <laughs> but you got two days out of it. <laughs> so it really, I didn't really get into, you know, um, kind of the, the punk rock scene until I'd say probably like my senior year of high school and maybe, you know, certainly, you know, you know, when I was like 18 or something. So it was like, I was still too young to get out and see, you know, the shows for the most part. And you know how it is in high school. It's like totally. four years feels like 40 years. And every year you're getting into, you know, new bands and discovering new styles of music and everything. So, um, yeah, so it, I, I didn't really get into that scene until too much later. Um, but I, I I do remember, and Mitch and I joke about this still to this day, when I was, I think I was in eighth grade, I was in definitely in middle school, and I was a like a big skater back in the day, and, and there was a skate jam at the at the neighborhood high school. So I, I so went, San Diego. <laughs> so, San Diego. <laughs> so I went to it, and there was this punk, punk band playing called Sub Society, and, um, and Mitch happened to be playing bass at the time for Sub Society, <laughs> and I think Stymie was still singing vocals and Stymie was, you know, you probably know from inch and yep. Congress, the cow and some of these other San Diego bands that he was in. And he, uh, and I was like some little eighth grader and obviously Mitch was, you know, mid high school or whatever he was at the time. And we still were like, Holy shit. Were you there that day? <laughs> yeah. That was the day that we, we pushed the, uh, you know, the little, you know, VW bug down the hill and it caught on fire and all this kind of stuff. So, wow. Uh, but, but yeah, sub society was playing that skate jam and I was there skating on the little, on the little ramp. So that was kind of my first, you know, punk rock show. And Mitch was there. <laughs> and he was the bass player. <laughs> yeah. Well, going back to some of the pop stuff, like what, what were you into? Were you getting into Britpop? Like how did you find, or was it just the radio or just what was kind of on TV? Um, what was, what was, um, what was hitting you? So, um, yeah. So like middle school, I was kind of, sixth grade maybe I, I was like totally into poison <laughs> yeah my first favorite band was warrant was warrant okay okay so I, I feel you there yeah like my best friend still to this day um the whole reason why you know we even talked or i even sought him out in the crowd was because i think he was he was wearing a poison shirt and he had an earring yeah and, and he was like so the earring grade. meant you're either your parents weren't home or they didn't care <laughs> And you nailed it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Divorced parents. You know, mom wasn't around a whole lot. Dad was way cool with everything. And, um, so and I was a like, super this, good friend. Like, this kid is so cool. I want to go introduce myself to him right now. And that here we rules. are all these years later. So, yeah. So, like, kind of like a little weird glam thing going on early on. And then um, um, my stepbrothers were very influential on me, you know, when I was, you know, seventh grade. So, they're about five, six, seven years older. So they were very much into, um, you know, like Echo and the Bunnymen and Tears for Fears, REM, that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. 
I, I got really into to that, you know, especially like in like U2. I remember having posters of, you know, boy and war in October all over our room and, um, you know, in excess and stuff. And, and then I would, and then I would kind of take this left turn and, and I remember the first time like La Bamba was played on the radio and I got like crazy into like Richie Valens, <laughs> Buddy Holly and all these weird. And then obviously the movie came out and everything. I still cry to this day when I see that, that bridge scene. Such know? a good movie. But, uh, yeah. And, um, so like, yeah, like, you know, middle school, just like in excess, midnight oil, XTC, smithereens, that kind of, that kind of vibe, you know, a lot of, a lot, I was a definitely, you know, into the radio back then. That's a cool uh-huh. list. Like just saying those four bands like that, that's still, I mean, I think you responded back cause I was watching on Twitter. I think I was watching a bunch of 120 minutes videos on, on YouTube from like 93 yep. and 92 or whatever it was. And it just like that, that time period, like you still had to search. There might've been on the radio, but I still think, you know, having your, you know, your siblings there help, um, usher some of those records in. It wasn't like you were getting force fed with what was, you know, pop at the time. Absolutely. No, they were, um, you know, they were very instrumental early on. And then, um, you know, and then, you know, and you kind of graduate into, you know, what ninth grade or whatever, but, um, and, and kind of move on from there. I, m- I remember actually going back to eighth grade because um, that's when I first kind of started playing an instrument, which was the bass guitar. And our science teacher in, had to have been, I think it was eighth grade, Mr. Murano. So he, he's a former musician. He used to tour with America wow. back in the day. And so we, uh, <laughs> we decided to all hook up and play a, a talent show together. And it was no drums. It was like six guitar players, a bass player and a keyboardist, including our science teacher. And we played uh, sweet child of mine. <laughs> is there documentation of this? Did... Uh, there is, there absolutely is somewhere, obviously on VHS. <laughs> yes. You can well, see my dad's bald head in the entire thing. But... Let me know. I'll rip it. It'll just be for you. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that tape does degrade over time. It does. Yeah. I think it, it has to be at my dad's house. Uh, I think I may have saw it or seen it, you know, 15, 20 years ago, stumbling upon it. But, um, but yeah, no. So amazing. So eighth grade, you know, yeah. Middle school was definitely. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. My kid's telling me he's just got to go poop. You know, the inhibitions that happen at that age. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. He just turned five uh, a couple days ago. So there you have it. Mitch but. had his kid um, in it a bunch too, uh, which I, was hilarious. Did you hear those parts? I did. That was ho- that was awesome. I was I think cr- it was laughing so hard. I, I I was like, Mitch, can I please leave this in? <laughs> like, he's so funny. Yeah, you're like that was like the greatest intro to any podcast I've ever done. <laughs> so now I'm down here in the basement, and I told the kids, you know, I need to be alone for uh, an hour and a half or however long. But he but. still has to tell you. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Obviously, um, we're, we're close. <laughs> we're close. We're close. Uh, f- you know the p- moving. You know uh, from bass guitar and then playing. Like what? What did that feel like? What was the? Did you? Did you know? You're like, oh man, this is. This is what I got to well, do. Kinda. I mean, not still not then. I was so. Because um, you played guitar, right? Yeah. So you know how it is. So when you're in middle school or early high school, it's like everybody plays guitar. Right. And nobody plays anything else. 
No drummers. And that's that's kind of how yeah, that's how it was. So it's like I that was the reason why I wanted to play bass because everybody played guitar and um I thought, well, I'll just play bass. Thank you, buddy. See ya. And um sorry for that. You can edit that out. Why? Um, no. <laughs> just kidding, Ryan. If you want me to, so, I will. <laughs> just kidding, I don't care. <laughs> So so everybody everybody play guitar so I figured I, I play bass and uh, since we'll lead a bass player um, for our for our bands and then uh, and then kind of you know as I entered high school um, we didn't have any drummers or we didn't know any drummers so I somehow talked or convinced my mom into renting a drum set. How much was um, that? I have no idea. Um, I can I can still picture this drum kit. That's great, though, because I I remember I probably begged my parents to rent one and they said, you know, go back to your room and stop talking. Um, So that's amazing that how long was it? Because remember, I used to rent video game systems that I couldn't afford. I remember my parents letting me do that for a weekend. Uh, What I'm like, was it for a weekend? Was it a week? I think it was more than that. Wow. Yeah, because we yeah. And I don't even know how old I, I, I think I was a freshman or maybe a sophomore i forget Thanks, probably mom. a freshman yeah totally i mean looking back i'm like oh my god mom i can't believe you and the neighbors dealt with it for that long but <laughs> and then it and then i'm and then i remember for christmas uh my dad and stepmom got me a a drum kit and it was like a used kit in fact um it has a cool story because do you remember mojo nixon back in the day at all or skid roper some of these some of these names from you know, early, early on San Diego, um, this guy Skid Roper was Mojo Nixon's drummer and he had opened some little, uh, kind of used music instrument shop. And I remember my dad, he told me after the fact that that's where he got, wow. yeah, that's where he picked up this five piece drum set. And, and at the time, again, we, we talk about 120 minutes. I remember Mojo Nixon a little bit was on 120 mm-hmm. minutes, but, and I wasn't super familiar with, with him, but I thought it was a cool story. But so that was like my first drum set. And, um, and then from there, I, you know, I, I played drums all the way through, uh, through high school and, and then right up to, you know, through, through the no knife days, um, and all that stuff. But, wow. Yeah. I, I mean, for, like I said, your parents to be able to be supportive of that. A lot of times I'm talking to bands and it's like, they, it wasn't, they had to figure it out with an acoustic forever and it didn't it just, it's, um, it's, it's just interesting after how many doing many of these interviews, like who was supportive and who wasn't. It could have been the older brother. It could have been, you know, an uncle or something. But someone always yep. kind of kickstarts it. And I don't, I don't know if I don't know if people realize it, but those things are they mean a lot and um, uh, be able to, you know, express yourself that way. Totally, I I, I couldn't agree more. And my, um, you know, not, neither of my parents or my, you know, my brother or sister ever played music. Um, <clears throat> but my, like I said, my stepbrother Tim. Uh, he, he picked up acoustic guitar and he was like teaching me REM songs. And so I, you know, on the weekends I'd stay up there, I'd, you know, bring out my bass and kind of figure out the bass parts. And that was kind of my first introduction to harmonizing. Like I'd try to ah. do my bills parts of, you know, the higher harmonies and stuff. And, but my uncle, like when you speak about uncles, my, my uncle Jamie, um, back when I was pretty young, I'd say probably, probably eighth or ninth grade, um, my, my grandparents lived back in Cape Cod. And so we, uh, would go back there every summer and, and we stopped by, uh, my aunt and uncle's place and he 
made me a, a tape of um, Help and a, a Hard Day's Night. Wow. And I remember as a kid, I had I brought a Walkman on that vacation, and that's when I just became obsessed with the Beatles, and I would listen to those albums nonstop, and I would pause after every line, and I had like a little you know notepad, and I would write down what I thought the lyrics were, and then play, and then pause, and and I just got crazy obsessed over the Beatles like at that time. So he was he was definitely I still consider consider my uncle like you know definitely an influence musically when it comes to that. I love that I could hear you in the back seat, <laughs> like <laughs> click 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 yeah. click click. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> annoying whoever is next to you <laughs> totally mom we need more batteries yes seriously oh. <laughs> where uh where in where in massachusetts were your aunt and uncle uh they were in um new milford oh, i'm sorry uh they were in connecticut so they were in oh, okay. new milford connecticut and then my grandparents were in um cape cod massachusetts where, where in cape cod do you remember uh katuit bay shores oh further out yeah like right on the water they were um I, I remember like plymouth and hyannis maybe yeah. or falmouth or something like that wasn't too far right um cool i don't remember i was a kid but it, i i know i i did read that you're from vermont my my brother tim that i'm speaking of who helped me you know learn all these rem songs he and his wife and their kids they've they've been vermonters for like 30 years oh wow do you remember so what town he, yeah, uh, they're they're in Montpelier right now. Montpelier. Nice, nice. This is the just... only capital without a McDonald's. Did you know that fact? <laughs> oh, that's maybe one more reason to visit Montpelier. <laughs> oh, I always loved uh, telling that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, they they were in Springfield for a long time, and then uh, they've been in Montpelier for quite some time. Oh, that rules. Yeah, it's a interesting place to to grow up. I think the being far away from everything, but so close. Montreal, two hours away. Boston, four. New York, you know, city, seven or six. And, you know, being that far away, but then being so close, it's an interesting dynamic um, for um, influence and things. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm oh, sure. It's cool. 30 years. Good job. I guess they, they are... Uh, I guess I can consider them Vermonters. I guess I'll do that. They're, they're not Flatlanders. Um, oh, that's cool. I think the, so going back, you know, East coast and West coast, did you, um, that I mean, again, traveling and seeing different things. Were there, were there other things that you were exposed to when you were out East or were you not even aware yet? Um, like musically. Uh, yeah. I had a cousin, um, uh, Michael, just a you know a few weeks older than myself, but he uh, his father um, was a um, I don't know if he was a director. I think he was a cinematographer, um, and uh, and he he worked on like Pink Floyd videos. He uh, there's this band from Philly back in the '80s called the Hooters, and I remember he uh, he did there. So anyway, I he he shot a bunch of stuff that that uh, aired on MTV <clears throat> and I remember Michael got me really into Pink Floyd a couple of those summers um hell yes yeah yeah so um that is that that is a that is a good summer oh yeah yeah oh, uh-huh. those those were some fun uh some fun walks in the woods with some headphones <laughs> <laughs> um so I, from but, that like when did you meet up the guys and and what what about it clicked um when you when you started playing Blow the guys from um, my knife 
yeah, so um so I met Mitch. Um so so I played in you know an abandoned high school pretty much all of high school, then right after graduation we we kind of broke it off and <clears throat> I started doing a bunch of just kind of my own stuff. So at this point I was still a drummer and you know, I, I remember being called out like the whole like Dave Grohl thing, like, oh, now you want to be a front man uh, and write your own stuff and play guitar and all that stuff. But I, I had picked up guitar um, at this point and was just just getting really experimental with a bunch of bunch of tunes. Um, <clears throat> and so, so I, I was going to San Diego State um, my freshman year and I remember I was still living at my mom's and so I would, I'd go to class in the morning and then on my way home from school, I'd just come up with some melody in my head. And then once I'd get to her house, you know, she's off at work, it's an empty house. That's when I'd start laying down stuff. So I'd, you know, track the drums, track the bass, track the guitars. If there were vocals, most of the times there weren't, track that and just started recording a ton of shit and kind of cataloging stuff. So where it's like I had about, I don't know, 75 songs. Wow. And then, uh, and then I, I started working as a busboy, like a host and busboy down at this, uh, downtown restaurant, uh, this waterfront restaurant down in San Diego. And then, um, I had heard of, of no knife. In fact, I'd seen them before. Um, I remember seeing it was no knife unwound and rocket from the crypt. That is a great Um, lineup, (laughs) super lineup. (laughs) And, uh, so they were, they were still, very much unknown, but they were kind of a, a little, they were kind of like a buzz band coming up. Um, and, and drunk on the moon had been recorded, but not released at this point. Right. And so, uh, so, uh, there was this guy, um, Luis who also worked at the same restaurant. He said, Hey, um, Mitch from no knife, uh, just applied. And I was thinking, Holy shit, Mitch from no knife applied at this restaurant. <laughs> so, <laughs> so one day I come into work and there's Mitch and, and Mitch is, uh, what was he? He was like the oyster bar cook or something like that. Like right when you walk in, he's he's there cooking oysters. And I go clock in and I was so nervous. But at some point, I don't remember if it was the first day or a week or two in, but I approached him and said, hey, man, um, here I got this tape and, you know, I, I record all my own stuff and write all my own stuff and just, just, you know, thought you'd be interested. You know, you can throw it away if you want, but whatever. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I just basically, I wasn't, I wasn't trying out for anything. You know, they were a full fledged band. I was just kind of wanted to, you know, Mitch from no knife to kind of, right. Uh, just wanted to share my music with somebody. And, uh, and then behind the scenes, I, I had no idea, but behind the scenes, it turns out there's some stuff going on with, with Aaron, who was their guitar player at the time. And it wasn't immediate, but maybe a month or so later he said, Hey, um, would you be interested in, in, you know, playing and uh because i uh you know we just lost a guitar player and i was like yeah hell yeah so we uh we got together the two of us and kind of just rehearsed some of their stuff and i think like the following week was like an ascap showcase in la or something that i was playing for with my you know my first show with them so it was uh it was pretty intense and it was pretty quick wow uh, and i and and so basically no knife was like the first band i'd ever been i was ever playing guitar in so I was a little nervous about that. <laughs> right. Because from playing the other instruments, but what was that? What was that first show? Like it was, um, uh, I was definitely, um, I, I was very young. I think it was nine. Well, I was 19 and 
a little out of my element. Of course, I was a huge local music fan. Um, so I was, you know, maybe trying a little too hard <laughs> to kind of be part of that group. I think, I think, it, I think I ran out and got a couple tattoos like right after I joined the band just to be cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was, it was intense. I think, I think to be like for the record, I think we actually played a little like a quick like practice show, some unannounced show at some tiny little club somewhere. Um, but I don't remember that one too much. I, I remember I remember this ASCAP showcase up in LA right. being kind of the first show and it was weird. It was some industry show, so you know, something that, you know, I was not used to. And like I said, I, I was definitely uh I, I I hope there's no audio or video of that show anywhere. <laughs> I'm sure. But see that's yeah, the thing. Know. We're so we're 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 safer. We we can say that. Oh, that show, there was no one filming. Now you can't. Oh my gosh. I couldn't even imagine being in a band now, but <laughs> every yeah. little no, moment it, it was cool though. It was like, again, I, I felt like, you know, growing up with, with older, you know, stepbrothers and stuff, these guys were all a bit older than me and far more experienced and had been doing this a while. And I was definitely, uh, you know, very much in awe, you know, as things started and, um, you know, just kind of looking around going, am I really here? Am I really doing this? This is mm -hmm. insane. Because at this point, I dropped out of college wow. to do this. Yeah. I'm reminded of that every so often. <laughs> so like, like, you're, like people telling you, what did you do? Or, or you think about, what if I didn't? Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I, I don't regret anything. But I, I figured, hey, look, I'm, I'm 19. Um, you know, at this point, Drunk on the Moon had just been released. This is you know, this is what I want to do. Um, I feel I, you know, I, I, I kind of paid my dues without, I, I feel internally like that. I, I, I was in the process of paying my dues. I mean, um, I hadn't toured before I was very green, but in terms of my work ethic and, and really pushing and, you know, learning a bunch of instruments and songwriting and composition and, and, and gigging and, um, just really dedicating myself through and through to, you know, the art of songwriting and performance right. for, for quite some time. I, I, uh, I was so stoked and so fortunate to have fallen into this whole thing. And, and it was so much fun. What about, um, so that record was out and then, you know, you were part of the, the next record. What was that like writing with those folks, um, in, in, in the band and, you know, developing that sound. I want to talk about the sound a little bit more, but just that first part of like getting in there and working on a record with a band that was already together. That's an interesting dynamic. Yep. Yeah, it was. <clears throat> um, so Hitman Dreams was the first one that I recorded on. Um, and, you know, Mitch, Mitch is obviously the primary songwriter. Um, and so... I wanted to kind of compliment, you know, where and when I could. Mm -hmm. And I, I brought some songs to the table and I don't know off the top of my head. I think there was, I think there was three, three songs that I wrote on that album. And then, um, and then we would just kind of like, we would meet up in the park. So he and I would, uh, <laughs> I remember we'd, we'd get forties and then, uh, <laughs> we would drive to, uh, to some local park at night with our electric guitars with no, obviously, you know, 
amplifiers and we would just sit there in um, mostly the dark trying to come up with with stuff and showing each other things. And so, for instance, like like a charades or like a um, jack boots, I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if he was kind of having some, I wouldn't say struggling, but if, if he was, you know, looking for some uh, some assistance on a certain section of the song, um, I kind of jump in and and try to come up with a chorus. So I think a lot of the choruses on that album, um, I kind of helped helped with, um, like melodically or musically, um, and then a, a couple of the songs I sang on, like uh, like lead. So that was kind of our that was kind of the first introduction, but it worked out really well. And I, I was like very respectful. I mean, again, I'm still very green and right. Um, just, you know, I mean, I, I was just so excited to, uh, to have this opportunity as cheesy as that sounds. I was just, uh, I was just so pumped. So, um, and I, the last, yeah, the last thing I want to do is step on anyone's toes. I mean, it's, right. you know, I had this opportunity, so I'm just gonna, uh, I don't want to, you know, take over or anything like that. Did you feel the... Did you feel the mathiness of it? The staccato, the, I, I feel like what I th- listen to no knife, I think, I feel like there's two, pa- it, does this make sense if I say there's two sounds pushing together and you don't think they're going to mix, but they do. Does that make sense? Like there's this, this, yep. it's not, it's not the, oh, it's, I'm doing the harmony or I'm doing the octave. It's just, it's, and I'm like, how do those two things work together? I've never heard those together. And then there's the song. Um, that's how I think of No Knife. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I totally agree. It's, uh, and, and I know Mitch has said this, and I know I've mentioned this, um, like a miniature was a huge influence for, for both of us. And uh, and they have, um, you know, John Lee's their, their primary, um, you know, songwriter and guitar player and huge, you know, guitar influence of, of, of mine and I know of Mitch's and stuff. I think he even played in the band for a little while, but, um, if you go back and listen to a miniature stuff, there's guitars flying all over the place and, and there's, um, just this kind of up tempo and this kind of slow down tempo and these kind of just, I know, I know you use the word, you know, angular and in there, but, yeah. um, just really kind of, kind of off. I don't need, I don't even know how to describe it, but just, just these really, funky bits that would um it it would gel i mean it it, it you wouldn't think it it would at first but um can everything you talk does. about that because like yeah. you know a, like a band plays louis louis even a shitty band can play louis yeah. louis shitty how does how does who heard you know your crazy notes and mitch's or maybe brian's or whoever and it's like Oh, let's try that because most bands would say that sounds like noise. Well, let's find something else. <clears throat> yeah, and and maybe that's why um, you know that's why uh, that's why we didn't really um, have a lot of people you know show up at our shows for so long <laughs> or like really get the material <laughs> um, that you're describing because maybe because of that um, it wasn't super straightforward you know some tunes were but most of it wasn't super straightforward there was a lot of changes um in the songs like you said the start stop stuff um yeah just um you know i i know one thing and i i don't know if mitch mentioned but we actually um 
we, we actually tuned up to F, which is maybe kind of like this little hidden kind of thing that um, may have, um, you know, kind of change the sound a little bit i suppose but could you get uh, nerdy with me what are the what so when you tune up to f is it just the e-string that's up to f or everything's the, up a yep, whole every, note? everything everything's up a whole note exactly oh so f so, b um what the hell is d, uh e a um, e f okay, i got to get a guitar out now i think that's what it was so um, that's yeah. so then you're yeah. What were the chords? Stru- I'm getting nerdy because I'm a guitar player. What are the chord structures in tuning to F? Are how, um, that's crazy. Yeah, so nothing changes um, oh. except we're just bas- it's basically like cupping your balls and squeezing a little harder. <laughs> so um, it's it's like that's kind of where you know when you listen to it, like one of our songs, whether it be live or recorded, and it just kind of has this like little kind of like zip to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that was a contributing factor, me personally, because I remember when I first joined, it's like, oh, by the way, we tuned up to F. I'm like, oh, what does that mean? <laughs> that means we're going to break a whole lot more guitar strings. I know right. that. Um, what what gauge really... did you have to play to, for them to I, I not was, break? I always played tens. See, that's why I, was, I always played tens, but I'd be scared to tune anything oh, yeah. higher because I, I I play too hard. Like, I just, I, I, I wreck it, so... I don't know. I probably wouldn't have lasted. Mitch would have kicked me out. Um, so you had tens for tuning up to F. Wow. Yeah, we had tens and um, yeah, a lot of a lot of bloody fingers and and blood across the body of the guitar, which made us look even cooler. <laughs> um, but no, and then obviously traveling during the winter, touring during the winter, we're always you know before we even put the guitars away in the cases, we're always just kind of tuning them back down, knowing right. that they're gonna you know, but. Um, but yeah, I, I think that was one little kind of like hidden secret or whatever you want to call it that kind of may have, um, translated whether you knew it or not, kind of like this like subconscious thing. Uh, when people listened, it just had like a little, a little extra, um, kind of sharpness to it mm-hmm. maybe, um, because of the, the tuning structure. And that was really just cause, uh, Mitch's voice, uh, we, he, he kind of already had a, a fairly high voice and, um, when it's trust me when we do these reunion shows we're tuning down to e <laughs> we're just normal straight tuning um because neither of us can even imagine singing that high anymore in our 40s but i love that um, but yeah back in the back in the day everything was tuned up to f so um that was that was that was one unique characteristic i think of the of the of the music right and overall you know making friends we talked about jimmy earlier but like making friends in these tours in this era um if jogging your memory do you remember um you know connecting with these bands and what because they all you know if if you mention some of them if it's sweep the leg johnny or sunny day or get up kids or or sun like or rocket those are all different sounding bands what was the common denominator so um so, you know, getting back to your comment earlier about, um, you know, just kind of how people, um, you know, either understood or did not understand, you know, our music and our kind of musical structure, really, and the songs. Um, 
I think if when you when you listen or when anyone listens to No Knife, especially back in 1999, mm-hmm. you, we were kind of a, kind of a, a bit of a head scratcher because, um, you know, they tried pushing a song or two to radio, but obviously radio is not really going to pick up on it much. Um, and we were kind of pushed towards playing with certain bands, but but you're right, we never really stuck. I mean, the the Jimmy World guys, um, that was a that was a a great matchup for us but i mean earlier <clears throat> early on we were playing just funky ass like one-off shows with um i think we got mashed up with deftones one time wow um lit remember that band lit of course um and um and then uh, do you remember shift Dude, yes uh if i will do a sidebar that's how i got in the industry I did Schiff's unofficial website in college. <laughs> okay. And I ended up meeting Sam, uh, the drummer, oh, yeah. and she got me my first job in the industry. Oh, well, there you go. And so, but Shift, like, Just, that's post hardcore band. A little that's bit. Post hardcore. A yeah. little bit. Josh's songs are a little bit uh, off kilter, too. I, I would totally see that show, but you're right. It wasn't yeah. what it wasn't expected. It wasn't so, and maybe that wasn't a great example, but we were we were definitely kind of kind of bounced around, and that I makes remember sense. one we were up in I think Canada one time, and we were ho- hooked up with this uh, Irish band called Ash for a totally couple no of days. Ash, just just these weird these weird kind of combinations, um, and it was, and then like our first our first big tour we ever did uh, was opening for Social Distortion, wow, um, and that's that's a different uh, crowd. <laughs> that's just yeah i i got a i got a beer bottle thrown at my gu- <laughs> splattered all over my guitar um but yeah so just kind of some weird i remember um i remember early on we toured with this band uh this northeast uh, this northwest band called pond that was really cool mm-hmm. um and then yeah like the rocket guys um you know get up kids uh granddaddy i remember we toured with for a little wow. bit which was, which was a fun a fun when you're tour. saying back all these bands it's just so funny because you're totally right they're like they're trying to find this spot and i think and this gets to my other point about asking about these bands is that there were bands i worked at a hardcore label and we had a band that sounded like you know wilco and it was so hard to get them out of that era or that type of band that they were touring with these harder punk bands and hardcore bands when they were sounded like Wilco, but the, the circuit or the type of what the, the network you couldn't get out, you know, you couldn't go find that other band. And I think sometimes emo gets associated with that where you get stuck. And I think it's more of a, it's amazing that you got to play with Ash or pond because later it would have just been typecasted. Does that make yeah. sense? Oh yeah, yeah, totally. We, we were, um, I don't know. We, I, I just kind of felt like, uh, we were kind of always, kind of the new kid in class, kind of a thing. You know, the kid that that uh, you know kind of gets bounced around from school to school and doesn't really know, you know, <laughs> who are his friends and who aren't, and you know, in, gets introduced <laughs> to new teachers every couple months, and it just, um, you know, and, and part of that was was some early on you know, booking agency stuff and right. not knowing who to pair us up with. And it really wasn't until, um, like I said, you know, getting in touch with the Jimmy world guys and, and touring together for as, as long as we did with them. And then, um, and then this guy from time bomb, uh, Peter Berger hooked us up with get up kids. And that really, that really kind of opened up our eyes to a whole new 
different scene that we weren't in touch with at all because at the time we were doing, I think early on we were doing mostly bar tours. Wow. Um, and we were touring with like a miniature and heavy vegetable up the West coast, like early on, I remember and stuff. So it's, uh, yeah, get up kids. And then obviously, um, you know, we had this kind of, kind of breakthrough, sh- uh, tour with sunny day, um, because we were label mates at the time. I think this was back in 2000. That makes um, sense. Yeah. So they were, that was the rising tide record, right? Yep, exactly. That was rising tide. And we actually had, uh, a whole European tour booked and we were so stoked because we had never, we had never been anywhere but the continental, you know, U S and Canada. And so we were so pumped to do this kind of DIY European tour. Um, and then time bomb said, hold on, hold on. We, uh, we have an opportunity for you. And they, they said we, you could support sunny day on a, on a six week, you know, us tour. And it was, there was no opener. It was just us. Well, we were the opener. It was just us and, and, and sunny day. So we thought, holy shit, we cannot pass this up, pass this opportunity up. So we did that. And, um, that, that was a great, great opportunity and a really, really fun tour. And, and then toward the end, we, you know, we, we obviously hooked up with cursive and it was, uh, it was, um, I think that was the, no, that, that definitely was the last, you know, tour we did before we called it quits, but it was, uh, uh, minus the bear, no knife and cursive. So another fun lineup. That's a great lineup. And I feel like it, it, it was funny. You mentioned like that, that tour seems like it fits with no knife. It's almost like you found your school, you found your teachers, you found your yep. classmates uh, it was it was funny right before this band that I was mentioning earlier that sounded like Wilco like just right before they broke up they got on the right tours and they got to the right thing and it it's it's the it is interesting to think about the booking agent how much of an effect or who they know or what they could do they understand it or the the labels connections and and your your connections that that the band has it's it just the all of those have to align. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, and this is way back when too. I right. mean, this is, this is when, um, you're not, tweeting. you know, we, <laughs> we used to tour with a, you know, a Rand McNally, you know, us map, right. a pager, and then we would rely on phone booths. So like our, literally our pager would go off and we would fucking pull over, find a, a phone booth and call the promoter and ask the promoter to give us directions to the club from wherever the hell we were. So, I mean, just weird times. And we, we would, I remember, and I, I don't think, I don't think it, it couldn't have been the same tour, but there were, there were times where we would play, I'll never forget. We, we opened for some band in Atlanta called Dick Delicious and the Tasty Testicles. No, you didn't. Yeah. That's a band and, name. Yeah. Apparently. I mean, wow. I, I think, I think only us and the bartender knew the name of the banks. So I think we were the only ones in attendance, but you know, we, we'd play some crazy ass show like that. And then, Two months later, we're on the road, and and we would get hooked up with the Jesus Lizard in New in Albuquerque or something crazy. So just these just these super weird, you know, bookings. Um, wow. Or Jawbox in Detroit and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Just just these these crazy shows. Um, but <clears throat> yeah. Did you did you feel the did you feel the the word emo being used and or not feel did you did you hear the word being used and what was your first thoughts and 
did you feel that it all connected to your band? I, I don't. I, I I mean, I can't tell you really the first time um, I heard the word. I know um, at some point, late 90s, we uh, we played a, uh, you know, South by Southwest in Austin. And obviously that's the hometown of a mineral. And, right. and we went to go see a mineral show, which you can imagine, South by Southwest, hometown show. It was you know, super packed. Um, and I remember hearing a lot about mineral, um, you know, hearing, you know, huge, you know, Sunday day influence kind of, you know, so I, I remember, you know, thinking that was kind of the, the definition of, of quote unquote emo. I don't think we ever got tagged with emo. I mean, maybe here or there, but I don't, again, based on, uh Oh, <laughs> based, based got- on, um, Hey, say goodnight. You got to go. Say, say, hey, Tom, what's up? Hey, Tom, what's up? What's up? Yeah, that's Colin. Colin, yeah. for five, hey. he just, amazing. Yeah. I think you need to put hey. him on a mic to do some voiceover work. <laughs> oh, here, the, two, the two-year-old the two just walked in, too. Hey, can you say goodnight? Because I'm, I'm, I'm doing a... a goodnight. Little... Yeah. <laughs> hey. Thanks, buddy. Love you. Yeah, he wants to do it again. Okay. <laughs> Good night, Mike. That's not Mike. It's Tom. I do like that he did say goodnight to the microphone, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think maybe that's what he was saying. Can you say goodnight, too? Goodnight. <laughs> okay, sweetie, I love you. I have to go. Bye-bye. Thank you. Um, so that was like... Uh, that. I remember that, you know, that, that scene or that vibe, that kind of was the first kind of quote unquote emo. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I really don't think we got tagged a whole lot with it. I mean, obviously, you know, we're, we're touring with Jimmy world. We're touring with Sunday day real estate. Um, we're touring with get up kids and we're, we're touring with bands that are, or obviously have, you know, quote unquote emo ties. Um, in fact, I think all those bands are like in the intro of your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, (laughs) which it's so funny. I've never updated. I'm like, and no one's ever given me shit. Uh, Guy never gives me. Sh- Guy never gave me shit for the cover of the podcast, and the bands in the front have never given me shit. So one day, one day I'll get a call from ASCAP or somebody. Yeah, right. <laughs> somebody, somebody will come down on me. Um, but yeah, so so I mean, obviously we're, we're we're touring and we're playing with with you know um, you know emo bands or whatever. But I don't. I, I really like if if you were to go back and I remember seeing you know spin articles and alternative press articles right and maybe in Rolling Stone and stuff here or there like you know they talk about emo and out of curiosity you know you'd open up the um, you know open up the magazine and and you know see who's mentioned and we were obviously never mentioned in any of that stuff so I don't really um, obviously I never considered us emo and 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 I didn't really hear us being ever really labeled that much at all if 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 at all to be honest but um that's a good memory then (laughs) yeah no i know but like i know like chris chris caraba for example like i i met up with him one time in san diego um when dashboard was playing some show and he um he purposely you know he called the promoter and said can you guys can you get any of the no knife guys down you're like i love that band and i want to meet those guys and and I don't remember if the other guy showed up, but I, I definitely showed up and, and met him. And, and, um, and, and I guess, you know, no knife was a big, you know, he was a big no knife fan back, back in his early days. So it was that, that kind of, 
uh, that, that's always kind of fun to, uh, oh, I to love that. I mean, yeah. Chris, it's interesting. You mentioned that cause it is sort of the, what happened, you know, it kind of obviously got, you know, uh, bastardized and then become, you know, pop music, um, in a, in, in so few words, um, later on, but it was, you know, people like Chris realizing there's a history realizing, let me go back. Let me listen to these other bands. Let me, let me dive into this other, thing and for him to be in that stature and then reference those bands or still follow you know love them um is what i love about the lineage of someone like that that can maybe there's a kid at that show that overhears an interview of his mentioning no knife and they go and listen and i think that's the beauty of this that might get lost sometimes when people think you know if, if you ask 10 people in times square they're gonna say you know what bands instead of maybe they might say uh, sunny day or they might say another band that uh you know it's not on pop so for chris to do that i think it's great that there's um there were places for him to you know learn about your band or learn about those tours and um i love that um i just it goes back to that unknown like probably the first time i saw you guys i probably didn't even know what you sounded like i didn't even know no. i might have just seen a cover i might have just seen a poster and I love that feeling and you can't do that anymore. I mean, how, I mean, I don't know how many tabs I have open for you and I'm just doing an interview. Um, just the, that information piece. I loved when it was blank. <laughs> totally. <clears throat> no, I, I, um, I, uh, you know, my, my dad, my dad's a businessman and, and we talk about, um, you know, me deciding to drop out of college to, to play in a, a rock band and try to get a record deal and kind of follow your passion and stuff. And I will always, I always remember telling him, Hey, look, we're, we're never going to be on the cover of Rolling Stone, but there's definitely some bands that are featured in Rolling Stone and some of these publications that, you know, we had an influence on. And, and then you would look, you'd look back and, uh, you know, flip through some magazine and, and there's a, you know, a picture of thrice and, Eddie's wearing a no knife right for romance t-shirt or something like that. I mean, it, it was just those kind of, those kind of things, or like you say, you know, Chris inviting us down because he wants to kind of meet us and hang out and kind of, you know, um, kind of that, that word of mouth, um, you know, kind of love for, yeah. for, for some of those influences. And, and I'll remember, I just, I just always remember things like that and how, how much that really means. It's really cool. Yeah. And the, the, um, and I think, from that, I want to talk about your solo stuff a lot because, um, in '05, I mean, what the, what was the impetus to that? Was that from your uh, box of tapes, and you're like, wait, let me just, you know, see, see what I have, or um, what was it harder? Um, because obviously, being you know coming out as a solo musician or playing those songs is different than when you got three other people or four other people to kind of play with you and be there on stage. Yeah. And, and so the solo stuff, the solo stuff always made me, um, very uncomfortable. It's not something that I, I sought out. Um, like kind of what happened was, um, I was, you know, no knife was still a band and, uh, I, I was still kind of like going back to the old four track stuff, just still always, you know, writing songs and recording songs, whether they're just little ideas or if, if there's something to them. Um, and, uh, and I remember recording a couple songs and then, um, somebody had asked about 
the idea of releasing one on some compilation or two. And I think I, I ended up putting out a couple songs on a couple um, compilations and and that got the interest of a few folks. And then it was just kind of like uh, after after we disbanded, um, I remember um, this guy, you know, Al Guerra, who's a friend of mine who <clears throat> was the local DJ and, uh, you know, manager and um, had, had expressed a lot of interest in 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 pushing pushing that stuff and i remember thinking i don't want to do anything until i get married because i had a a wedding planned in 04 and you know none if we had kind of broken up in 03 and it was just just a lot going on and um and then uh but having a ton of ton of songs and then you know al and i kind of talked about putting out this ep uh, which which became that three four EP and that mm-hmm. was just released under his his own personal label Junior Varsity and um, kind of getting that out and and ninety one X like our the local you know uh, alternative music station San Diego picked up on suddenly which was a song I wrote and um or off that EP and and um, I remember playing the little San Diego Music Awards and just like little opportunities started happening and and it kind of created this little bit of a buzz but in terms of like you know playing live it, it was just so hard because um you know yeah you're so you're you've been you know you know for the last 10 years you've been used to playing with with the same with the same guys and everyone's in it for each other and and now you're kind of doing this kind of quote unquote solo thing and having to kind of recruit a drummer and recruit a bass player and all these people who have other projects and other you know day jobs and things and obviously they're not they're not as invested in it as you are and it's it's just hard to, it was just so hard to, to do, um, you know, for a full-time gig. It, it you know, it just, it didn't, uh, it, it didn't pan out. I didn't, it was the whole, the whole solo thing was so, like I said, just, it was very, uh, very uncomfortable <laughs> to, to do. I, I didn't, I, I didn't want to be a solo, you know, artist ever, so but I it... just didn't, I didn't want to stop playing music, you know? Right. And so from that EP led to, you know, the next one, Only only Trying to Help, um, which you did with uh, Better Looking and our boy Paul, OP. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. What, what about that time? Because, again, it brings up this, that, that 2007 was, I mean, I remember this record coming out because I was obsessed with Better Looking. And I also remember this was the year that I got so angry I started Washed Up Emo because no one was talking about bands. Um, and this was a very weird year. Um, can you talk about the release and like, did you still have the same feelings of not wanting to, you know, not, not wanting, but, um, having difficulty playing? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I, I still feel terrible for what happened really. Cause why? I, I, th- I just, you know, you know, Dave Brown and, and Paul Fisher are good buddies of mine. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we go way back and, and, and they, you know, they, they decided to take on this record and take, take me on and, um, you know, as a, as a recording artist or whatever you want to call it and put this album out. And I, I did, uh, I don't even think I toured on it. Well, I didn't, I, I did a, a like a opening, I opened for Switchfoot on this like national tour, which was which was a lot of fun. Um, but the record wasn't even complete yet and wasn't, hadn't been released yet. And so when the record came out, I remember playing a couple of little release shows, 
just a, a really small handful of local shows. And then, um, and then that was it. And again, I, uh, I didn't have a, you know, a full band. Um, I had a couple different guys playing drums and, um, bass and guitar. It's just, it wasn't, uh, it, it was just, everything was just so, so weird. And again, this was just, you know, right before, you know, the 08 recession hit and there right. was just, there was just so much going on. And, um, at this point I, I had moved up to Orange County and so I was, you know, driving down to San Diego every couple of days to rehearse or record or whatever it was. And, um, it just, I, I kind of feel like I just abandoned, um, everything. Uh, and again, not, not feeling entirely comfortable with the whole idea of, of doing something on my own. And it, I don't know, it's, I, I don't really think about that time a whole lot, but I do, I definitely remember feeling just a bit guilty about signing this record deal, putting it out and then just kind of walking away from everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, I did, yeah. I did talk to Paul a little bit before this and I did want to read something cause I think, I think it might help. Um, do you mind if I read it? Yeah, sure. So I just wrote Paul and I said, fuck pitchfork, the 2.8 review. Um, and, uh, they've got the most ridiculous thing said in there. Um, and I just said, "What? Tell, tell me about what's going on." And he's like, "Actually, I forgot about that review. We were kind of at the end of Better Looking, I think, and he wasn't really touring on it. And that's no one's fault. Just solid songs that were above the indie emo stuff. I love that. And you know what's funny is um, Paul probably protected me from that. I had no idea that Pitchfork even reviewed it until right now. Are you kidding? So no, I had no idea. So well, two point eight. That's like." You know, that's, um, that's like an F. Do you want to read, can I read the passage? It's, it's, it's sure. so fucked up. It's like this, I actually, um, I, I, there's, I mean, they have some crazy, like, uh, uh, Jim and I would joke and say, if you add up all the reviews of Jimmy Eat World, it equals 10. Um, just because yeah. of like, just that, just, that was the era. I thought don't, I was, people don't realize like they shit on everything. <laughs> they, I was going to say, don't, don't get Zach started. It was actually Zach. Zach and I, I remember telling him, I was like, hey, Zach, if you add up all the numbers, it equals 10. Yeah. <laughs> he just starts getting all pissed <laughs> off. <laughs> no, I had no idea. I mean, um, that's kind of cool that I that Pitchfork even reviewed it, I guess. I don't know. I had no idea that that review even came out. Seriously. This isn't going to make you feel bad. I just think it's, I, I just think it's, um, it's, it's fucking hilarious to read years later. I, I don't have to if you don't want to. No, I'm... I, I have never read this. I've never heard this. I, I'm actually quite interested. <laughs> I'm just going to read this one passage, okay? Combining the super bad geek catchiness of all those mid-90s Weezer wannabes, Super Dragon, Harvey Danger especially come to mind, with the mawkish, Claritin-deprived wine of this decade's emo, Ferguson simultaneously weeping and pissing on No Knife's grave. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! I'm gonna go start writing a new album right now. <laughs> That's the point. I need you to write a new record, okay? <laughs> it's just gonna be a bunch of kid songs talking about how I need to, you know, take a poop. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I don't. I mean, so you know, Paul Tom, protected like, you from that. He must have because, like I said, I, I, I had no idea that the album had ever even been reviewed. I, it didn't by anybody, take me, it didn't take me that. You, if you type Ryan Ferguson, no knife, it comes up on like the second page. <laughs> well, 
I, I'm not really ever typing that. So. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, oh my gosh. So uh, I do think um, two songs on there I wanted to mention that I really, 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 really love. And it's funny, my buddy Brian that I did a DJ night with before uh, coronavirus in New York City, we did it for nine years. Brian would always sneak in a song on this record. Okay. In the beginning, because it was like fewer people were there and we knew we were going to like, it was like more like the chill hour. Um, and that was um, Remission. I, I love that song. And that, that song actually is about um, my cousin who, who died from leukemia, actually, when she was 28. And um, so it was really about about her and her, her battle with leukemia and, wow. and going through Remission and then ultimately ultimately not surviving. Um, and it's interesting. I don't remember all the lyrics offhand, but I remember, uh, in the chorus, there's a, uh, a part about if, um, if you take a knife and cut out pieces that don't seem right, something along those lines. And people would always, um, think that was some sort of, uh, kind of like parting shot or some little thing about, um, you know, no knife, but that had nothing to do with no knife and had everything to do with, uh, cancer. Wow. So that song, yeah, I remember being at a, um, I'm a huge baseball fan and, and, um, what's your team? I would hopefully, is it the Padres? Oh yeah, definitely the Padres. Yeah. But I was, I was living in Orange County. And so, um, I, I, I'd always ride my bike up to the local, uh, community college, um, baseball, uh, stadium or whatever orange county community college and um or orange what is it coast orange coast college uh and uh and i remember like just kind of like humming a tune in my head and it, it turned out to be that song and i remember just kind of sitting there watching this college this community college baseball game and just kind of sitting there and recording little you know parts and stuff into uh into my phone <laughs> wow, and then, and then coming home and recording that, and that turned out to be remission, but, and, and a really, really funky, funky, weird, um, connection is, uh, John Altabelli was the coach of Orange Coast College and he was the one who died in the helicopter crash with Kobe Bryant recently. Whoa. Yeah. That really game that you were at. Yeah. That, that, uh, I used to see him all the time. He was the, he was the long, he was, tenured coach of orange coast college baseball and Costa Mesa there. And I used to see their games at least like twice a week. Wow. Um, but yeah, weird, weird, weird connection, but yeah. Yeah. So remission was, was always a very, uh, emotional song. Yeah. Very emo song. Right. Well, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, um, I always felt like when I listened to it back today, I was trying to write some things I, I felt, and you could say you're completely wrong, Tom. Uh, I thought like Elliot Smith with a little GBV. <laughs> I love Elliot Smith. I, I never, um, I never, I mean, I, I, I like GBV. I, I didn't, I didn't really get into them a ton. I know, uh, Atkins is a humongous fan of theirs. Um, but, uh, yeah, a little Elliot Smith, you know, I, I just, Man, More I like just, the I jangle, really, like the jangle of it felt. It's got this tempo. Maybe the Elliot Smith tempo, if that. The, the Elliot Smith, I got a lot of that um, on the first the EP. Okay, uh, I recorded a song um, called El, "On Elvira Street," which um, was actually about the death of my my grandmother. <laughs> I write a lot of really, um, <laughs> really uplifting songs. 
Um, but that had a total Elliot Smith feel. And I remember because when I recorded it, which was just in my room with an acoustic and me, uh, I, I was kind of battling a cold. So it's really kind of, kind of that soft spoken kind of, mm-hmm. you know, doubled up vocal kind of breathy, you know, tone, which obviously Elliot Smith had. So, but nice. I, I really, just, I just really hope I'm not pissing on no knives gray with any of this material we're talking oh, dear, about. This, I can't believe I read that to you. I'm actually feeling regret that I did that. <laughs> I mawkish I, Claritin deprived wine of this decade's email. Like I want to have that as a tattoo. Like I, I think that's just that's fantastic. I think that would be a, like if I could do a dot com, that would be a really long ass uh, web address, but I might <laughs> I might see if it's available. When I did my little round table of asking people and your counterparts and friends and stuff, everybody just asked for more music. So is that in the plans? Is that something that you want to do? Are you busy with uh, a five and two year old? What's the What's 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 going on now, and is there any prospect of music? <clears throat> so, like, honestly, getting out this condenser mic for this podcast, uh, I I had to dust this off from when we moved. <laughs> I literally, I'm looking at the moving box uh, from the moving company, and I had to unwrap this microphone uh, and the XLR cables that came with it. So, <laughs> I would say that, um, yeah, I don't know, but it's. Do you think about I, I, it? I wish I. I wish I had more time. I mean, I, I, I've, um, and the kid, like the, the kid music, I'm, I'm half joking, but I'm partially serious. Like I, I've recorded a couple songs, um, for some friends, you know, little kids and, you know, I, a little garbage truck song for my son. And I definitely, um, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a, a little, a little left turn, but, um, I think it'd be fun recording a little kid's record. I, I think that would be, I think, I think anybody um, that's a fan of No Knife and a fan of you would love uh, any music. So if it happens to be for kids, I'm sure that age demo, people in their 30s and 40s have kids. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they do. Yeah. And we had our kids real late. But no, I, I, I think um, there's some stuff, you know, in the vaults and in uh, some old Pro Tools, you know, sessions somewhere that there, there's definitely a lot of unfinished business. Um, there is actually a, a, a second EP I had started called In the Interest of Time. Um, and uh, ironically, <laughs> that was probably about 15 years ago and um, I never quite put it out. But there's about five or six um, mostly finished songs uh, that, that I did. Um, but again, the recording sucks. I think I repeat the same verse, you know, in mm-hmm. most of the songs, just kind of unfinished, but, but there's definitely some, uh, some, you know, like the framework's definitely there. And, you know, I, I think it would be fun, but at the same time, realistically speaking, I just don't really know how that would even really happen. You're busy with your job, day life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, too busy. What do you but, do for, what, it's, are you, can you say what you do for work? Yeah, I um I uh, work in the airline industry. I uh, have for the last uh, almost eleven years now, which is something I never never thought I'd do. Um, so I work for JetBlue, and um, I'm a Mosaic member. Are you a Mosaic? Yeah. Oh, well, thank <laughs> I just you for got your for loyalty. Of, I just got it all for 2021 too. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> um, my dad was a was a captain with the the Air Force back in uh, you know the good old days. He flew. Um, he was flying C-130s in Vietnam and wow. my, my mom was a, uh, a, a flight attendant for 
uh, Pan Am. Actually, they were called stewardesses back then. Yes. Um, back in the, the 60s where, you know, they wore the white gloves and the little bonnet and the little whipped hairdo and the whole deal. And my, my grandparents were uh, Navy pilots and my uncle's a, a captain with American now. And I got a lot of, just a lot of airline in my blood. So that probably thought, helped in the interview process. <laughs> well, I just, in the interview, I just gave him a copy of my album. My, <laughs> Guys, have you heard only trying to help? No, you haven't. <laughs> well, let me tell you about a review. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my God. No, but, uh, uh, it's, it's fun. It's, it's a, it's a, I, I, you know, like post no knife, it's like, what do I want to do? And I, I screwed around in the, um, in um, kind of the audio video world for a little bit. I just writing jingles and doing little, you know, local car commercials and a bunch of stuff. And then uh, just this, I, I thought this opportunity was going to be about a, like a year long kind of part-time gig. Cause again, I, I got hired uh, with JetBlue in 09. So we're talking just, you know, post recession. Right. And I just needed some consistent work cause I'd just been freelancing literally since I was a bus boy. <laughs> I've been right. freelancing pretty much ever since then. So um kind of thought it was going to be a little one year or so opportunity. And here we are, you know, 10, 11 years later. But who knows what the next uh, what the next deal will be. I love that. Um, yeah. What do you, And I won't keep you. I just um, one more was about like, have you did first did you enjoy looking back? Did you feel I know you've done other interviews, but look, you, you know, looking back like this yourself and. No Knife's legacy. Have have you thought about that? And what what are some feelings um, as you kind of again look? You guys are playing shows once in a while, and you know, still kind of in touch. But what does it feel like um, now, looking back? It's um, it's fun to look back. It's like I said, it was uh, you know, there was that time period shortly after we split where you know, things were a little funky and we didn't, you know, we didn't really talk a whole lot and certainly hadn't played shows. Um, but like I said earlier, you know, I have no regrets and I think, um, it, it's, uh, you know, I, I, my, my buddies, you know, um, kind of helped me just, you know, my, my buddies, you know, all, you know, all went to school and, you know, finished school and, and got, you know, good jobs after the fact. And they're always quick to remind me, you know, Hey, look, you know, you did something that we will never have the opportunity to do. And that's, you know, tour the world or tour the country and, and put out, you know, records and kind of have that whole opportunity. And I have to kind of remind myself of that from time to time and think, um, just how fortunate, you know, I was and, and that we were to get the opportunity to do that. Um, and it's not, it's not about, you know, influence and, you know, how many fans you may or may not have had and, and everything. It's just, it's just really just that opportunity of uh, getting in a van and, and going, you know, city to city and just playing your heart out every opportunity you got. And, uh, and that's something that I'll always, always cherish, um, but I do not want my son to do that. I will definitely steer him very clear of what I did. <laughs> that was my next question. When are you giving him the drum set? When are you going to go to the, the rock club and go, or the, uh, make a music store and buy that punk drummer drum from somebody else? 
That's right. No, he, uh, he, he's funny. Cause, um, like, you know, I'll bust off the guitar and we'll, we'll jam a little here and there, but he, um, he's like a, a good little beatboxer. Really? Like it, it's funny. Cause it's something that I've always, uh, I'm not saying I'm a beatboxer, but it's it's like when I when I come up with an idea or when I when I used to come up with ideas, I would just take this little, you know, digital handheld recorder and just like, you know, whatever, just like do some little thing like that into it. And he just he just he's like picked it up. I've never taught him a thing. He just he just walks around going. It's really cool. Wow. Yeah, you should, so, start, um, you should start recording them. I've recorded like some little mini, you know, father son interviews. Oh, with that's him, perfect. But, but uh, yeah, maybe I'll keep this mic out a little longer. I think you need to record some of those. And I think as you maybe, again, you're not going to think about it. Maybe for like a couple years, you're going to have all those tapes again and be able to look through similarly to maybe that second EP. Um, <laughs> or some other music. No, I really, Ryan, I really think that your music is important and no knife's important and more people need to be thinking about them and talking about them. And, um, the, if, if, uh, and even, even today where it isn't, you don't need to tour, you don't need to do those things. There's interesting or creative ways to promote what you're doing. And there can be, uh, as little or as much as you want, but just the music I think deserves to be out there. So, um, if it's your beatboxing with your, your, your son or, um, some stuff that you find in the tape, uh, or the tape vault, I think it's, I think it's worth doing. Well, thank you very much. And I, uh, we'll, 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 uh, we'll see what we can put together. Maybe we'll try to try to get that other Ryan Ferguson, a rapper, you know, off my, uh, my Spotify. <laughs> With a, a new a new release of some sort. I like it. <laughs> you know who else I thought would have fun from San Diego is Steve Aoki. Oh yeah, I feel like yeah. he's the biggest person in the world, but I don't think he would have the question. I I think I would ask him things that he's never. I mean, he's probably done interviews about it, but not in this context. Do you agree or no? I think Steve. So he um, I I haven't spoken with him in a really long time, um. But yeah, no, he, uh, I don't even know how we get a hold of him now. Like obviously through some sort of a publicist of some sort, but, um, no, he was, yeah, early on, like, you know, he used to pickle well, patch all the time, pickle patch and like his, so, you know, when, when he distributed fire in the city on dim Mac, um, for, for, for the Japan release, um, he put me in touch with his mom, uh, or his mom's, um, what am I trying to say? Publicist, um, I'm joking. <laughs> no, not publicist. Uh, uh, <laughs> my God, I'm totally drawing a blank. Um, his mom essentially um, is the one who hooked us up with getting tickets to Japan. So, wow. Uh, like his, like Steve, Steve Aoki's mom is the one who, uh, is the one who hooked us up with uh, <laughs> getting airline tickets through korea air or something like when we did our japan tours so it was her, her travel agent my god oh, travel agent yeah. travel agent but um that was the last time that we we had really spoken so it wasn't really until well after that till right. he exploded right but seriously exploded he, he would be he would be really good he would but that's really what good. i think too like i feel like if he knew 
Because like, I always get stopped at publicists because they're like, what is this? That's nice. But it's, if I go directly to the band, they like, they're in in five seconds um, because they're, and I feel like if he was like, oh, there's this thing talking about, you know, old school emo. They want to talk about heroin and, and Indian summer and Moss Icon. And he'll be like, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that was, those were his roots. Yeah. So, totally. So, um, totally off subject. Has anyone ever told you you kind of sound like uh, Daniel Tosh? No, but I love no? Tosh.0. Oh my God! Do you like when, when your when your voice kind of gets a little high like that, like it just did? You sound exactly like Daniel Tosh. Nice. I do think I need to do voiceover work. People have said <laughs> I've got a nice, easy voice. So maybe that'll you be. Do. But I don't think Tosh does. Um, <laughs> that's cool. I was going to mention too the baseball thing. I'm a huge Mets fan. Um, it's funny you mentioned baseball because um, that was kind of one of my outlets on tour, just to kind of get away from right. You know, the guys and everything else was just a was just to get out and and see a see a game you know pre-show or whatever and i remember i think i remember at one point writing down the number of stadiums and i I think i had about 18 or 19 stadiums that i'd gone to um just over the course of being on tour um here or there and whenever there was whenever there was a game in town and we happened to be in that town at the same time i'd just buy the cheapest ticket and even if i caught three or four innings and then ran to the show um, oh, that's cool. Do that. Yeah. Yeah. I saw some, some really, really awesome. I remember taking, I remember being in Cleveland and playing, I think the grog shop and the Indians were in town, obviously playing somebody. And I took the freaking bus into downtown and watched three innings and then huffed it back to the club and played the show. And I was trying to do that quite often. Did you know Zach's, uh, dad was, uh, yes. the third base coach for the pirates. And the he was a coach for the Reds, the Vermont Reds, when I would go see the Vermont Reds and Ken Griffey Jr. played for them. That's crazy. So, yeah, I told Zach, I was like, your dad was the coach when I would go to the games. <laughs> that was, yeah, I mean, we used to, yeah, I remember being in in Cincinnati when the Pirates were in town. And, yeah, Zach's dad got all of us in, got some sweet seats. and <laughs> So cool. We used to, yeah, we used to go. To, I remember the guy, I, I think. Davy, well, definitely Davy. And Dan the Jimmy probably guys. went. We, yeah, we all went to uh, see the um, Brewers in Old County Stadium one time when we were in Milwaukee. And yeah, I don't know. Baseball's, I, I've been a huge baseball fan since I was a little kid. And it's, uh, that was definitely some, something that I could always just kind of have with yeah. me wherever I went, whenever I went. And that was always just a fun outlet. I loved the outside of music thing. Like you, there's people that I talk to. Yes, I'm obsessed with music and I've, I do a podcast and all this crap and you've done bands and stuff, but there's these other things that when you find, you know, Dan from the promise ring, you're super into this or Davey or, or Zach. And it just, the, it's another level. And I'm sure that's just with friendship, but I think for music people, sometimes it's just music or nothing. And I I have trouble when that's, that that's it for them. I'm like, what else do you like? (laughs) Oh yeah, I know. I, 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 I I totally get that. I just I know there's there's definitely that that group that uh, you know maybe it was their their experience in middle school or high school where there's kind of the the jocks and right. the, you know the 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 music kids. But I um I always played sports and and played music at the same time. I never really thought there was um I don't know. I was yeah. able to. I was always a basketball guy too. I loved. I love playing and I was super into that, but I sucked and I realized I needed to play music instead. And yep. <laughs> <laughs> you knew that I already knew, I already knew I sucked at basketball. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ryan, it's taken way too much of your time, your night. 
um, I'm really excited that you were stoked to do this and, uh, um, you know, you're one of the people that have been on my list for a really, really, really long time. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. And I, uh, I had a pleasure doing it. If, if, uh, if I can think of anyone to, to kind of, you know, pass the torch onto, I will certainly, uh, send them your way. Cool. Thank you, man. Yeah. I might bug you or be like, Hey, do you know this person or not even just that? Just sometimes, you know, there's people that just, you know, Hey, what's up. And then years later they pipe up and say, Hey, I want to do it. Um, that's happened with Jay June recently. I'd been bugging them for years and finally they did it. That, uh, and I'll let you go with this, but that, that was one of the, the tracks I found on one of those cassettes that I recently, um, found was a, a track that Joe and I did. Really? And I played drums. Play, I think I played drums and guitar on it, and he played piano. And it's just this instrumental. I remember we recorded it in my mom's living room. <laughs> I'll send it to you. I will. I promise. I'll send you. It's just this little. It was never even mixed. It was just this really raw, you know, funky little thing. But I remember hearing it going, "Oh yeah, I remember Joe came over and we recorded this." Oh, and then so Chris, cool. I, I haven't seen Chris in years, but Chris played uh, drums on all uh, on the Only Trying to Help record. So. Oh. Nice. They were sweethearts. Oh my God. I had such a blast with them. That was, um, they're one of the pieces of that, you know, and again, you hear me talking about archiving and stuff. Like I, um, I have an archive at home that, you know, is is a server of all this stuff and I scan stuff for people. So, um, you know, the, I'm happy that you're going through that stuff and, and, um, bug your bass player. That's the last thing I need you to do. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the reminder. I will. (laughs) Thank you, Ryan. All right, Tom. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Talk to you later. Take care. Bye.